1: Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave Bold Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I am here today with an incredible guest, the one and only Beju Solanke, who is a performance psychologist otherwise known as the sniper coach, but we are going to get into that because that is just one aspect of what he does. Welcome to the podcast, Beju.
0: Jeanette, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this and uh, yeah, excited to uh, to see what comes. Kind
1: of- Brilliant. Well, you know what, Beju, the best place for us to start is really with your journey, if that's all right. A little bit about your, kind of your background, where life started for you and kind of how you've ended up to where you are today. And then we're just going to go from there, if that's all right.
0: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So my um, uh, i you know grew up in a traditional Indian family whereby university wasn't an option; it was a necessity. Was, you had to do it, and obviously, I say obviously, I only really knew that I could do maybe five jobs: doctor, dentist, engineer, pharmacist, and shopkeeper. You know, outside of that realm, wasn't wasn't a possibility. So I actually thought, okay, I, I didn't know any better. It wasn't really that academic. So I then did a maths degree thinking that will get me towards accountancy. But very early on, I, I remember about three months into that degree, I was in the library as you as may, some people may have heard of libraries in our days. We didn't have the internet. And I saw this book and, his, and I picked this book up and I couldn't put it down. And I just read this book from cover to cover. And the book was all about body language and understanding. I thought this is really interesting. And, you know, understanding people's gestures and, you know, behaviors through their body. And then I realized, oh, this is part of psychology. This is interesting. And literally on that on that moment, I thought, right, that's what I want to do. I want to study psychology. So I went to my tutor and long and short of it, I managed to transfer to, to do a psychology degree. So I did that before telling my parents. And that was a disaster. Well, I say that when I told my mum, she was like, okay. And the, her question to me was, okay, so so what job can you get with this degree? And I gave her the worst possible answer, which was, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you're going to spend three, four years studying and then you're going to end up in some shop somewhere, which is, you know, serving, you know, 20 B&H in a, in a pack of, you know, Marswell or something. <laughs> right? So, but uh, what I did end up doing is become a psychology lecturer. So she was happy. She goes, oh, okay, right. So you just teach other people psychology. Yeah, that, that's the sort of gist of it. So my first proper job was a psychology lecturer. I got that within six months of graduating. And I did that for four years. Now, I always wanted to be a sports psychologist because my my I met, uh, my final year project was on, around uh, football psychology, footballers. So I did a master's. Well, I, I took up a master's in sports psychology while working, did it part-time. But it got to the point where if I didn't leave my teaching job, I would have become institutionalized. And I needed, I had a young family then. My, sec, my second child was just born. So I thought, I need some space, some headspace. So I Let me get a dead end job. So I found this corporate sales job in London. So I got the job thinking I'd be there for a few months, finish my master's and become a sports psychologist. And as you know, in sales is you're literally measured on what goes on the whiteboard, right? If the sales are going, if deals are going up, everybody's happy. They don't care what you do, right? But if deals are not going up, they scrutinize everything. And I didn't know all this, but... um. They believed in me, and I didn't get a sale for three months, but they believed in me, believed in me, and they kept me a little mini leadership role. It's only your name. It doesn't mean anything. I'll lead this, the British thing. What do I mean? There's two guys over there ringing British people. Just manage them. That's all it was. Um, but then I, uh, as soon as I completed my master's, I got some deals in, and all of a sudden, I started earning more money in a week than I did like two or three months teaching. So I thought, you know what? I'll stay here for a little bit until it goes pear-shaped, and then I'll go and do my sports psychology. I ended up being there for nine years. You know, you got leading American team, leading the British team, blah, 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 all this, right? You know, associate director. And um, for the last four or five years of that job, um, you know, I earned a lot of money. I traveled around the world, but it didn't feed my soul. And the culmination was I was in New York on a business trip about to close a really big deal. One of my biggest deals, one of the the company's biggest deals. And I got the deal. And I remember a stupid amount of money. And I remember I got to the hotel, told, phoned back London, well, fax back then, you know, mini mean, fax and order back. And um, I sat there for three seconds, I was ecstatic. But then I thought, is this it? Is this really it? Is this my legacy for life? And in that moment, I had, up to that point, I knew I wanted to do my own thing, but I had the perfect excuses. I'm not good enough. The time's not right. I haven't got enough money. All the normal excuses. And I remember the flight back from New York to London, I wrote down all the excuses of why I'm not leaving my job to start my own thing. And the only proper real excuse was a pragmatic thing around, actually, would you be jumping from the frying pan into the fire? I had a young family, mortgage, bells and whistles, all the rest of it. Is And then I came back, spoke to a few people, went to a few seminars, as you do. And the common gist that I got back from people was... um, uh, you got how much? How long could you survive for if you left your job today? And uh, that's the question I often—you've heard me ask other people—is and I thought, yeah, I could survive for a couple of months. And they said, well, you need to have six to twelve months, depending on your risk averseness, on your level of braveness. We're talking about brave, bold, and brilliant. It's for me. It was six, six months. So I did a bit of property. Um, did a bit of property. Went on a few courses, as you do. A lot of the people that you know, I, went, I met with them. And uh, within six months, I was able to do some deals, got enough money, got a call from Slister on October the 14th, 2007 saying, you know, exchange, money's been transferred. So that moment, I no longer had any excuses. So I literally handed my notice in and started my business the next day and not look back.
1: Wow, gosh. So there's so much in here, Bejo, and we can't wait to get stuck into the detail. So you know that moment when you were in New York, and you just thought actually there's got to be more to life than this was that like a bit of a light bulb moment or had it been coming for quite a while because I think a lot of people listening or watching um you know whether they're watching on YouTube well maybe thinking oh well hang on a minute was it just an overnight thing or or did it take time was that
0: no I I reckon the last four or five years of my corporate job I was thinking about it but Every time I woke up, it was like, it was easier to stay in the job because the money was good. They gave me travel, unlimited expense account, blah, blah, blah. I had a lot of autonomy. Come and go, you please. I was working in the American market, but I used to start American hours and finish British hours. <laughs> right? So it wasn't an overnight thing because people think you can decide over a long period of time, take an action straight overnight. So, uh, I, but then I, you know, it was easier to stay in the job than to leave. And that moment when I earned a lot of money, I thought, "Wow, this is as this is as good as this job job is going to get." And why do I not feel alive? Why do I not feel fulfilled? Some people might be listening. Well, you earned a lot of money, isn't that what it's about? "Mm, Not really, because I want to feel alive. I want you know. I knew I love helping people. I love you know the best part of my job was I was training other people and coaching them, not doing my own sales. So it wasn't an overnight decision, but that incident made me think beige if you don't do this now you're never going to do it so literally when i flew back i wrote down and all the excuses i came up with would probably be a if people are listening to this podcast thinking i'm in a juxtaposition do i leave my job do i change career and they've got these excuses well um, i'm not good enough Uh, i need more experience i need to do another course um uh, i haven't got enough savings i haven't got the support of family these are all genuine but um, excuses that you can deal with. And the last excuse I was left with Jeanette was actually, I physically don't have enough money in the, in the bank. That means if I left today and didn't earn any money from my business in the first two months, I'd be knackered. I'd be in a position where I have to get another job just to pay the bills and that could be that's stupid. So it's about being that was pragmatic. So I sat down. I looked. Actually, how much do I need to survive for six months? Did we ever cut back a little bit? A little bit. Got the buying from my then wife, and that's what I did. So then I then I so how do I get this money quickly? Right, and property was the answer. Then it was like in the nine in two thousand and five six, just before the crash, and people were doing a lot of this sort of you know below eighteen percent below market value one day bridging options, which I did but what I did I got educated I went on courses I started to learn there was I went to one course and said, the way you make money you make money on on purchase not on selling so I started to understand that and that's what I did so I got educated in that understood that so I could make money on 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 purchase did, you know the, the things are different now but the principle still say, remains the same
1: yeah, no, absolutely. And what I, what I love about this uh, Beijing is you had that sort of, you know, realization that you were out of excuses and you'd kind of you, you had your goal set and then you put a very practical action plan in place to make it happen because mm. I think the reality is, you know, there's probably 95% of people never really fulfill their dreams. I don't. I don't. and it's such a shame you have one life right so don't waste it um, that,
0: that, that probably influences my my style also you know you've heard me on Clubhouse you've heard me on different things about my style of coaching whereby you understand the the intangibles and tangibles that have you stopped in doing something or come up with reasons and then once you deal with the noise and the stuff and the fogginess and you get clarity about what you want is then you put a practical element into it what's the action you can take what's the conversation you need to have What's the person you need to call? What's the thing you need to do? And in that moment of action, an outcome occurs. Now, the outcome is either something you expect or don't expect, or don't want, or a miracle. And but then in that outcome, you've got new information to act upon. A lot of people say, "Well, I'm not getting the results I want," but they're not taking an action. So they're they're basing current decisions um, on on the same information because they haven't taken an action to get new information that can then make different decisions on. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I always say there's a simple formula for success, right? (laughs) And that is belief plus purpose plus action. And that's when you get results uh, when you have all, all three of those aspects. Let me, let me take you back though, because you started off explaining, talking about, I guess, your cultural heritage, you know, coming from a very, you know, uh, Indian family, I guess, we, with certain values and cultural expectations. So, how how has that influenced you, either positively or negatively? Given given sort of the strength that you have um, with that background,
0: I would. So, there's two parts of it. One, I didn't know any different. I didn't grow up thinking I was lacking anything or I've got opportunities. You know, we didn't. You know, there wasn't entrepreneurs in the same way that we think about in my family. Most of them were professionals, or they were they were. In a, own a shop right? mm. <laughs> they did have a shop or they were professionals doctors engineers um pharmacists or they had a, a, a sort of a newsagent shop right and that, you might say it's stereotypical but it was the case i can't remember even my friendship group anybody who was not um there was a couple of entrepreneurs they had a sort of um, uh, other other businesses in in east london um but so growing up uh, my dad was very you know we not very affluent you know he was a civil servant mum was a um a factory worker coming from from india so but they were highly educated from india you know in india they were quite highly educated you know they were high-end teachers and, and and stuff in education but coming here opportunity is not there mm. so but the work philosophy was always there there was always a, a mindset of well you're not going to get anything unless you work hard i remember this one time that one of um my, my friends in the community that we live in one of my dad's friends, mum and dad's friends, were uh, pharmacists, but they really made it. They they created a big healthcare company, and they were at one point the second richest Asians in the UK, right? Wow. Right, high, you know, like you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or pounds of wealth. They were, in, uh, you know, the Sunday Times rich list and all that. And I remember one time coming home from a function somewhere, and my mum was said, "Oh, you know, they're good people, but uh, how lucky are they?" I went, well, they're not lucky. They might have a little luck, but you make your luck. It's hard work. And her, her, her response was, "Well, look, how? But well, we work hard. Your dad works hard. You know, why are you saying that? Because when we we're not rich because we don't work hard. That's rubbish. It's not about working hard. It's just luck. It's just luck." And I said, "Well, no. It's there's a combination of things. It's where do you work hard? My dad was a highly respected community man. You know, if we measured richness in terms of friendship." and how he impacted community will be billionaires right and that was evident when he passed away recently and the amount of feedback i got with his you think flipping hell i you he change lives so if you measure um that then we'd be billionaires tenfold but it's d- different measures of success so my mum had this sort of thing well it, 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 there's the word called nasib in indian which means fate if it's if in your fate you're not it, you're not going to be affluently rich financially, then it it doesn't matter what you do. And I sort of said, oh, okay. I sort of believed it. Okay, that's, that's the case then. And truth be told, Jeanette, probably even during my corporate years and early years of my running my own business, I sort of thought that. Doesn't matter how much I work, you know, I'm not going to make more than this. And that might be a money psychology mindset and a glass ceiling I put on myself above anything else. And it probably definitely is as a result of being in these communities and this and it's, and it's eradicated now. But um, um, And it was funny because when I had a really good year in corporate, a good few months in corporate, it's really weird. The following months weren't so good. Now, whether that's because I was lazy, didn't do it, or there was some money stuck well, I've earned X amount, so therefore it, my money silly means you can't earn any more. It's a, a subconscious thing going on there. So it influenced me in a way whereby um, it gave me a benchmark that, served me at the time but i recognize that benchmark for what it is now and realize that it doesn't matter your your level of success and affluence is not determined by your past it's determined by your choices now so if i make different choices using the past as uh, as a good way of um as a good good benchmark to measure from uh then then the world's your oyster
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and let's talk a little bit about sort of change your game because that's that's the book you've got. And we can see it behind you. Great. Uh great product placement <laughs> I'm liking it, I'm liking it. Um, because, because what you're talking about there is, is obviously the title of your book but also how you you applied this to yourself because you had even as a psychologist with knowing everything about kind of how the human brain works etc you still had those limiting beliefs yourself yeah. even being very educated in that space
0: yeah of
1: course so you had to change your game in order to maximise your potential um, so, so talk about the book a little bit and that whole concept changing yeah.
0: your game. Just on that where you say, just because I'm a psychologist, it's like saying that every car mechanic is a great driver. Just because <laughs> they know what's going on under the bonnet and they know how the carburetor works and the oil, doesn't mean they're a the great driver. So just because you might have insights into human behavior, it doesn't mean that you'll have the right not to have limited beliefs and and emotions and, and all that sort of mindset stuff. Of course it does. We just The only difference is when you're a coach or a psychologist or whatever you want to call it, is you've got a toolbox so the mechanic what the mechanic's got over you is got he knows which part of the engine to adjust we, we, we were just like oh where do we look that's that's the difference uh it doesn't give us the right so how the book was influenced is i talk about life's a game right and in the game there's rules there's universal rules and we, and there's parameters that you play those rules in so if you play football one of the rules is you can't touch the ball with your hands unless you're the goalkeeper so what a lot of people go to life and say, right, well, I'm going to use the rugby rules and play football. Mm. Well, don't work. And then you get frustrated. And then you have, well, I have this arrogance about me. Well, I want to, oh, I can pick up the ball in rugby. Why well, can't I play football? Well, don't work. So life has universal laws that I, and I, when I was working with clients on my own, uh, my own success, I thought, okay, what, what's that play? What influences success? And then I looked at, well, there's a game, and there's three core games at play, right? And the first game is the inner game, which is your mindset, your thoughts, your emotions. Don't tell me doesn't matter. You know, you've worked in big corporates, right? Is that you can have all the systems and processes. If a certain, if the mindset is in a certain place, it has an impact on how product, pro, uh, your level of productivity, and what you produce. Mm. Doesn't matter about the resources. Doesn't matter the systems and processes, because it's like you've already run teams. If you have got a team of 10 people but two of them have a certain mindset that's uh, less abundant, it affects the whole team.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: So um, so the, the games I talk about is the inner game, so the inner game. So understand how do what's your inner game at play when you're in life? If you're saying well I want X, but your inner game, your mindset is a certain way of thinking, it's not going to get X. And there's universal laws, you know, you cannot be grateful within the same same realms of a complaint. If you're complaining about life, by definition, you're not going to be grateful. So you can't have both. You can't complain and then be, have express gratitude. Gratitude allows you to feel abundance and have an abundance positive mindset. What can we create? So the first game is the inner game. The second game is the game plan, which is strategy and roadmap. Like, you know this more than anybody else, right? If the strategy is not in place, but also not executed in the right way, but also you need to be flexible in the strategy. You know, you might have a strategy for the next three months, two months, six months. But then as you as you implement that strategy, things change. The personnel's gone. A system didn't work. The market changes. Resources change. So you've got to say, well, the destination is still the same. We want to get there, but now we have to take a slightly different route. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people run life by, imagine you're traveling from London to Newcastle. You have different options. You can train. You can car. You can fly. You can go by bicycle. You can even walk in theory, Right. So some people approach, life, I say, well, the way I approach life, the way I approach uh, going to Newcastle is I'll always drive and I always use motorways. I don't use M roads. Uh, I don't use B roads. You don't know who I am. And they approach life that way. They get on, the, they get on, so they start traveling to Newcastle. The first motorway is blocked. So they can be arrogant and think, well, sorry, I'm not using A road. I'll wait till the motorway is open. Well, there's a consequence there right or you're going to pivot and what is a lot of people go to approach life, well, i use M. I i only use motorways in my life and i don't want to have, i have this perfectionist i will only do well then guess what you're going to get stuck if you're not allowed to be flexible in the moment so mm-hmm. understanding your strategy has an impact on your success your roadmap and the third game is the outer game which is actions but it's not just about actions the very fact that if it was just about actions, everybody takes an action. As soon as you wake up, you get out of bed. That's an action. But is that the t- t- determining factor of success? No. The difference between those who are good, great, and highly highly excellent is the consistency and or persistency of your actions. That's the differential. Mm-hmm. So once you understand that the game of life is determined by three core games, which is your inner game, your mindset, your thoughts, your emotions... Your game plan, which is your strategy, your roadmap that you implement or you've got planned out and your outer game, which is the consistency and persistence of the actions. You've put all those three together. Now you've got the formula for success. Now, depending on your personality, your experience, your profession, your industry, the fluidity of what comes first differs. For some people, uh, I, once I take an action, that improves my mindset. For some people, I can't take an action until the plan's in place. For some people, I need to get my head right before I take an action. Right? So it might be different for some people, but, but also it might be different for some people in different contexts. Yeah. So, and when you start working with people, you start to understand. So it's not one thing. The one, one universal thing that I have found, and you've probably experienced this through the stuff I do on Clubhouse around accountability is always always a small action will de- will create something So some people say I need to get my mind right before I take any action I challenge anybody is there's some actions that are well within your capabilities that if you do take with some sort of accountability which which I do in that space you will have an impact on your level of confidence. Now use the momentum of the confidence to then, uh, create uh, bigger actions that might be a bit more uncomfortable. So what's the most low-hanging action you can take that has an impact on your life that doesn't necessarily mean it goes out your skill set? Yeah.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I'm with you, you know, because, uh, you know, so the easiest person to lie to is yourself as well. Right. So you can make all these excuses, but you're absolutely right. Even if you take baby steps, you're moving forward. And what I love about the way your style bays you, because I'm a very straight talker. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> That's probably why we get on. Um, but yeah, I mean, the accountability and, and the nickname that you picked up, the sniper coach from sort of the various rooms on Clubhouse. I, I know it's a slightly flippant, flippant, um, terminology for you, but it's absolutely spot on. So talk about your style and how you work with your clients to bring out the best in them. Because I think it's an important point, actually, that's quite unique to the way you work.
0: A lot of the, uh, you know, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, but also work with lots of corporate sort of high-end executives, right? And what I find is there's two distinct um, needs for an entrepreneur and sort of high-end corporate that I found. So for an entrepreneur, it's really about, the consistency of action, right? They sort of, they blow hot and cold. Some days are really good and they're flying, all good. And something could put them out the next day They didn't get a deal or they get an email that puts something, whatever it may be, right? And then that affects everything and then everything goes to pot. So it's mm-hmm. about how do you create non-negotiable habits with an entrepreneur or small business owner? That means they're consistent in action, right? So a lot of my work is around, well, what, what's going on behind the inconsistency to deal with that? So then I look at my game. So what's, what's, the, what's the inner game? What's going on around that? And then we start, but then often, you you probably know this, majority of entrepreneurs, small business owners don't have strategy, right? Yeah. They just don't have strategy. They don't get the concept of a roadmap straight, and they overcomplicate these things. You know, the the one, you've probably heard of the, you know, the business canvas, one page of things. It's a great little thing, yeah. you know, as opposed to having a 30 page business plan document where you can execute and understanding core principle of businesses, you need sales, you need to be able to understand marketing, and you need the operations. They're the four free tenants of basic business wherever you're coming from. And the the, the the depth of each one depends on the industry, depends on what you're serving. So the work that I do with small business owners and entrepreneurs is how how consistent more consistent you can be in, in in your performance that you get consistent output. With big corporates, when I deal with corporates, I usually deal with C suite and leaders. And what I find there is the art of leadership is they don't empower their teams enough. Mm. So where I work with them is, okay, what do you think is going on for you in your teams that you believe you either micromanage or you could do the complete reverse and you don't, you know, never to be seen. And it's that balance of delegation and empowering and creating the environment that the employee, that the team member feels it's okay to fail.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Okay to fail in the context of what you create. That failure is not a disaster, failure is a learning. In corporates, then what I instill is, okay, if, um, if something is occurring more than two or three times, then there's an issue in terms of leadership. So, for example, one of my corporates are working on a big big blue chip. The consistent theme is um, they don't delegate enough, and they don't delegate because they don't trust their team members. And I say, can I, can I ask in certain team members, do you know, is their team member always, that is always late? Yeah, there's always so-and-so, they're always late. Uh, is their team member that their quoted work is always just a little bit, less perfect. Yeah, this one. They always they always make the same mistakes. Do you find team members... Is there certain team members have the same excuses about stuff not going into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you see a pattern here? So it doesn't matter about the project. It doesn't matter about what week it is in the year. But you can say to me, this person has always got this excuse. So therefore, there's a leadership issue with you, not them. They're like, what? It's your problem. If you've got some person who's always late, but you believe that's not acceptable, then it's your issue. What what have you created that they believe it's okay to have that excuse? What have you created if there's a person in your group that produces a project but is always failing on these certain areas? You know, whether the quality of the work or it's a grammar thing. I don't know, whatever it may be, if there's a persistent reason for their lack of performance it's your issue. And they're like, whoa. So then we say, okay, what kind of question? What, what kind of empowerment? So I work with the leaders to get them empowering the team. And that looks like three things delegation, how to delegate a goal, not a task, understanding what true accountability is, that it's not micromanaging. And the third part of it is how do you do some people call it like free 360 mentoring, whereby how do you create a scenario whereby the, the team member is going to coach you. They're going to ask you questions that allow them to do their job and be open to that. So those are sort of things that I do around the corporate space.
1: Yeah. And, and you know what I love about this actually, Beiju? And I think you and I have got some some similarities here in that we we understand big business and we also understand entrepreneurial business. And actually, not not and neither is better or worse. They're just different. And there are elements of both that can really benefit the opposite, right? Um, and I think what you've just described there perfectly brings together both those that world of big corporate with entrepreneurial uh, to get a, a really unique combination that's often missing, um, and that, mm-hmm. I, that as well.
0: You've been out in corporate, but not big corporates like you have, right? Is, have you found that respective of whether it's like a 5 million turnover or like two 5 billion, that the, the principal reasons why performance or productivity isn't there is the same?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very often it is. Um, And, you know, and and to be a good leader, in in my opinion, you can be a great manager and a really poor leader um, and you could be a great leader, and a very poor manager. So, you know, it's understanding what the difference is between a manager and a leader, I think. And often people miss that. But Mm. one of the analogy I use a lot with 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 people that I work with or, or when I've run big businesses myself, I say you need to be like a helicopter. You know, because you need to be here hovering above, looking at the big picture, the big deals, the strategy, the vision, all of that kind of stuff. And you need to be empower your team to, to do their job. But then when there's an issue or it needs a particular, you know, part of your attention, you need to know when to land, get stuck in, but then take off again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I see so often like you do with leaders that, you know, they've normally got their own baggage and insecurities. So they don't like to let go. Um, yeah. And feel like they can't, um, you know, say they don't have all the answers. Um, but actually, if you're very self-aware, you're confident in leadership. You you actually recruit people who are far smarter than you, and yeah. You- You recognise that you as a leader, you're not there to have all the answers. You're there to provide the direction, the support, to bring the team with you, aren't you? As opposed to having to fix it all. Yeah. I think that's that's often a a trait of um sort of insecurities, imposter syndrome, all those things are very often going on with with senior leaders. Um I think you getting under the skin of that and actually holding a mirror up, which sounds like it's pretty shocking sometimes when people It is,
0: it is. And I've I've dealt with like senior directors. It's a big blue chips, right? And I this conversation two weeks ago with a diet guy, and we sort of come in towards the end of a sort of like a six month ar- a great arrangement with them. And so, what's the one thing you've learned in relation to this program? And he said, I thought I was a good leader. I was a poor and actually, he, this is his words. He goes, I thought I was a good leader. I've discovered I'm actually a poor manager. And I was like, and I was like, oh, like okay. And I said, okay. As a result of that, what have you put in place? He goes. He goes when people i realized that when people knocked on my door and they had a problem i basically not only showed them a solution i solved it and then gave it back to them so all they had to do is then just like put it in the filing cabinet as opposed to you've taught me is just to ask questions and i've been doing that and two things have occurred one is my workload has gone down right and two I'm finding they're coming back with different questions and different problems because they're elevating themselves because they realize, oh, there's a pushback here. Yeah? So now when they come again for a different problem, is it's not the same one because they've never because I gave them a solution before. Oh, they will give me the solution again because they've learned from that. It's a difference. I'm, find, I'm seeing their progress in front of my eyes in the last two months than I did in the last two years. This was a senior director in a big blue chip, top four, a cancer firm.
1: Yeah. No, I can, I can totally imagine. Absolutely. And, uh, and and you've made a material impact for him as an individual, but also that ripple effect that goes all the way through the team, you know, and the performance will be far better as a result of it. Let me, let me just ask you a little bit around difficult conversations, because again, you know, as a performance psychologist, you'll, you'll know all about this very often people don't address the elephant in the room. They, they don't want the conflict. They don't, don't want the confrontation, how much of your work is around uh, sort of empowering people to have difficult conversations but in the right way that gets to a positive outcome um you know on both sides does that is that quite a thing yeah. you sometimes
0: yeah not 100 so there's two things about that one thing what's occurred that means that difficult conversations are required right that's mm. the first thing what has occurred what have you le- what do you need to learn about yourself in the situation now i granted there's going to be things that have occurred outside your control that means you still have to have a conversation because it might be related to staff issue disciplinary performance issue whatever it may be all right so let's get to the point whereby a difficult conversation needs to be had okay well don't call it a difficult conversation right so whatever the conversation difficult confrontational um, challenging whatever you want to call it is um, it's, it's going to be two. one of two things one you're challenging someone's belief systems and like there might be the credibility thing or like they've done something wrong and you want to highlight where it makes them feel attacked in some way okay is my question to is this is if the conversation went exactly as you want it to go what's your perfect outcome what's the outcome you're looking for i have this classic example of the same blue chip right real life example right where she this lady was um uh, succumbent onto another company. So she was placed, as part of this big blue chip, she was placed in another company to, to deliver on this six-month project. It was a financial audit type big thing, right? And she goes, I've been put in this team and uh, they've given me three people, uh, one of the people I do not want on my team. I said, okay. Now, I had to dig first. Is it a personal thing or is um. it a genuine professional? And she goes, no, it's a genuine professional thing, right? Um, uh, I, um, uh, when we do five days of work, Um, this person's input means uh, he ends up with um, being three days behind and he's having a detrimental impact on my way of leading and the other two team. blah, blah, blah. And it's going for six weeks. And I said, so what do you think is the solution? There is no solution. I said, no, I do well. What what do you, so is it a question of a development thing? Do you need to, is it coach this person or or is it just literally, no, she was the wrong person, wrong uh, role, wrong time. I just, I just can't have them. It'd be better for me, to me and just the other people and this person not on the team. Don't need to do a replacement. I said, okay, right. So who's the conversation you need to have? With? Is it with that person or someone else? And she went, what do you mean? I said, you can have a conversation with that person, but if you say it's not a coaching development issue, you just feel they they are in the wrong place. It's not them. Who's the conversation with? She went, oh, it's the the, the owner of the other company. I said, right, but he loves that person. He wants on that, on that project. I said, but it doesn't work for you. So if that person's on that project, I'll come back to your question, is Mm -hmm. are you going to deliver on what that person delivers? Because no, I'm not. I can't do my job. I said, right. I said, what's the conversation you want with that person and what's the best outcome? What would you like to say to them, knowing they won't judge you? How will you position it? Because, oh no, I'll explain about the professional. and what. I said, what's your outcome? I said, you don't go there with a problem without a solution. So what's the solution that you're going to give that person. That's not a fate accompli, but an option for them to consider. They went, what do you mean? I said, you can't say it to them, it's this or no way. You've got to position such a way, it's their decision, but you have to be completely clear about where you're at. He went, okay. She goes, well, I want this. I said, what's the two options? Well, one option is um, a sort of a handover, um, and, but, but the other option is she knows that there's someone else in the company who would be perfect for them but I don't think the boss has realised I said well that's what you're going to say she goes I can't go and tell the person who's hired me in to tell them how they run a company I said you're not telling them to run a company you're just explaining your project I said this is how you're going to say you're going to ask for a meeting and it's a one agenda item conversation so this isn't like oh you have a team meeting oh by the way i quickly got to say something it's not that <laughs> That's not, it's a one agenda item. So you set up a meeting for the pure purpose of this subject and you tell them that. Oh, and then you sit down and you say, right, um, you present your scenario and then when they're talking, you do not say nothing. You let them reply. You say, you told them your problem, you told them the solution and what you think the best outcome could be. And then you ask them what their thoughts are. You say these words, what are your thoughts? Then let them respond. Anyway, she did all this and she came back two days later to me, she Oh my god it was like jedi not mind tricks he said everything i wanted to say the person's moved on he believed he understood blah 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 now the essence of that is when you look into difficult conversations do you i do know what outcome you're looking for from this right is your reason professional or personal right number three is don't come with the conversation without you having some option of a solution what happens with, with difficult conversations is they go into the conversation thinking, I'm going to vomit on you, give you all this, and then leave you with it. <laughs> you can't leave the vomit there. You've got to have some context about, okay, I'm going to vomit on you, but then what I think could be is this. You might not have a solution outright, but you have a consideration of what could occur thereafter. So you don't feel like you throw the ball over there and say, right, go on then, sort it. Yeah.
1: Right?
0: Yeah. So I don't know if that's answered the question. If it hasn't, then please let me know. But that's the essence of a difficult conversation. To make sure that you know what outcome you want. Is it personal? Is it professional? Especially in a business context. And is saying there's no such thing as a difficult conversation. It's a difficult. It, it's a difficult outcome. No, it's being prepared that the outcome might not be what you expect, but it's still a solution for everybody. Yeah, it's understanding that psychology.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's great. That's really good advice because this applies to anything, really, whether it's business or personal, actually, doesn't it? How many marriages could have been saved? How many friendships could have been saved? You know, if, if actually conversation was had in the right way. Um, and,
0: and, it's, and it's also the art of listening. The art of listening is often we go into a solution, we ask an answer. Don't ask a question and say, um, uh, and, and answer it yourself and give them several options. Just ask, stay silent, and s- allow the pause, allow the awkward pause, and let them say. And let them say what they want to say. And it's in that pause and in that response is where you get the power.
1: Yeah, no, that's brilliant advice, Beijing. it really is. And um, coming back to your own, your own sort of application, if you like, of all of this great advice, because it, sometimes it's, it, it's wonderful to be able to help others, um, but actually, when it comes to your own kind of professional development life, et cetera, with all the great stuff that you apply for other people, what are the aspects of that that you've applied to your own kind of business, career, personal life that sort of made the biggest difference for you, do you think?
0: Well, me, it's my, um, my personal transformation. I don't know if you saw that. So for uh, two, it's two years ago now, I lost like 20 kilos. Now, up to that point, no one would ever say, Oh, you're overweight, you're fat, you're this and that. I just, in in our culture, we call it healthy. You're very healthy. You're very healthy. <laughs> you're very healthy. That's what we say, right? So, um, I was all right. Oh, you know, but you don't realize. So, I was, my marriage broke up. Um, I didn't react very maturely to that. Eventually, we're good friends now. We we got it sorted and stuff. And, um, and then I went on this like personal journey, went on yoga retreats overboard and 10 days and all this sort of stuff. And you you know, it's the old adage, you try and find yourself elsewhere and you realise that the answers are within. And it is really true. And the culmination of that was that, do you know what? I looked at my life and my life was ordinary. So I wasn't in a relationship, but I wasn't too bothered. I was sort of in a relationship, but it wasn't great. Things, that, well, things, whatever. Uh, my job was, my sorry, my job, my business was ordinary. I was getting clients, but... It wasn't like that exciting. My vision was ordinary. It was sort of there, you know, help a few people, did a bit of coaching, but it was all very all, it wasn't like, if I explained it, they weren't going, oh my God, they'd be like, okay. (laughs) And I went, okay, right, that, right. And then a couple of my mates, they were going on this sort of physical transformation. They're doing this like photo shoot and abs and all this. I don't want to do that. But, and then I remember to end of 2018, I looked at myself you know what, base just do something. Do something, right? And I I thought, right, I'm going to get, I want to change my lifestyle. I just want to get healthier. And I wasn't with the aim of doing abs out and photo shoot. So, and I wanted to change my life. I didn't want to do a diet like Atkins or keto or eliminate carbs. I wanted to do something whereby, and I had two non negotiables. Number one, I could eat anything I want, and I don't want to feel guilty if I did. Mm-hmm. But I knew within that context that if I have donuts every day or Big Macs every day, I'm not going to lose weight. I'll be healthier. So I got that, but I didn't want to have the, well, you can't have it because then it becomes yeah. more desirable. So I found an organization called um, uh, uh, Results Now Fitness and they basically... They say, well, they give you a nutrition plan. They, they they say what you like and they give you a plan and things. So I lost 10 kilos very quickly within three months. And it's quite interesting because people then, because my philosophy is about change your game. People saw a physical manifestation of what I was preaching. Mm. Wow, baby's changing the game. It was really weird because when I started losing weight, uh, after the first month or so, many females are saying, oh, wow, you look really great, really, really great, really great. And then about four or five months into it, men started saying, page wow, you're looking all right you know you lost a few pounds. you're looking a bit, bit fit there a bit you know muscles. and then when i was coming then after three months i lost weight i thought i'm done now my coach said no 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 no. you can't say change your game change your game change your game and stop now we're going to do a photo shoot i said no that's not me He goes, because no, the photo shoot is not about you know look at me it's about what what do you need to go through here in your mind what do you have to what's in the discipline and non-negotiables so i thought okay so I went on, I did, I did a photo shoot on my 49th birthday and the the, the feedback was astonishing, right? Because people all of a sudden like saw this 49 year old who looked like a 35 year old, right? I had my abs, you've seen the photos, haven't you? The abs. Oh and the top, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, And it was phenomenal, right? So that, that the thing is, right, that the the consequence of that, my business went through the roof. People were like, because I'm like preaching, change your game, do your device. They would say, hang on, this guy, Gives it the welly, you know, on podcasts and on social media, gives it all that. And then, then we look at his photos. Wow, he's changed his game. Right? He's practicing what he's preaching. Now people to say, well, that's not to do with business, but the principle's the same. Discipline, mindset, non-negotiables, rinse and repeat, consistency, consistency. So that was the biggest thing. And to the extent whereby obviously you saw those photos on Clubhouses, I'm doing it again. So literally I'm three months, two and a half months away from my next photo shoot. So during lockdown, I kept it off the first two or three lockdowns. The last lockdown, I just smashed out the, the snacks covered in in Tesco's or just like every right. I'll put on a few more kilos than I did. And I thought, right, well, I'm not having this. And then um and that comp. that sort coincided with my dad passing and the third lockdown. And when we joined Clubhouse, I joined Clubhouse December um twenty twenty, probably summertime, and that culminated with, oh my God. And so I and then for me, you've probably, you know, you come on Clubhouse, you see me going to the gym and stuff, and you I see you yeah. see me posting my stuff and it's non-negotiable for me. It's part of my lifestyle. So the physical transformation had a massive impact on my mindset and my business. So I, people listening to thinking, is if things aren't working out for you, whether it's in a personal or professional context, is do something for you that's gonna up your energy. And I can't, for me, moving physical, even just walking, walking for thirty minutes a day will make a massive impact on on your life. If you can do the full gym thing, then great. But that's not essential. So, changing your state and physically and eating good things, it doesn't mean you can't have chocolate. It doesn't mean you can't have fast food, but in moderation. Mm-hmm. Right? Is, is 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 fill your own cup up first, and that will have an impact on your life.
1: Yeah, brilliant advice. And, and what did you learn about yourself mainly through that whole process? Was there anything surprising that you learned about yourself?
0: I'm more resilient than I thought I was. I, 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 and people, I, people, I'm not, I don't think I'm organized. I don't think I've got, you know, I'm not a diary. I'm not like a pedantic, you know, diary person and like schedules. But I became that. And I have this, I have this phrase that people want freedom in life. Structure and discipline creates freedom. The more structure and the more discipline I was, the more freedom I had. It's a non-negotiable, win. I do gym four, five times a week. Non-negotiable, I, I do 12 and steps a day. It's non-negotiable. So it's not a question of, oh, God, you know, how many now? Like, I'm sitting here now, you're on your podcast, Jeanette, and I'm looking at my iWatch, and I'm already on 9,500 steps. And it's not yeah. even two o'clock, right? So just one normal day, I'm gonna hit 12 and a half. But what that involved is this morning going walking for an hour, which took 7,000 steps out out of my day, which is great. I'm done now. So I'm already, before nine o'clock in the morning, every day, I'm already on 7,000 steps. Yeah. So it's that kind of non negotiables.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Honestly, that's a fantastic example. And uh, I mean, listen, we could talk about this for hours, Beiju, on the kind of connection between health and well-being and, and you know, your, your your business performance as well, but I'm conscious of time. So I'm just going to okay. cut some final questions, if I may. I might have to cut short. Can you think of the best piece of advice, Beiju, that you've ever had? Um, it
0: was two bits. When I was, you know, going through corporate to employment, uh, in entrepreneurship, when one of my mentors said, like, uh, make sure, um, understand, you know, the, the sort all of six months. How, You know, uh, how much you need to survive for six months is to to leave your job? That was the best bit of advice. Because if I didn't have that, I might have gone carrying on going around in circles or left too early,
1: mm. right?
0: Yeah. And the second thing was when I was running my business, about I won early on, three years into my business, I won a businessman award. I woke up, I remember... When I then I'll be just thank you, businessman of the year. I was walk- from my table walking up to get the award. I walked up thinking, I hope this is not a curse. And it was, and I took my foot off the pedal. And for the remaining three, four years, I sort of that was when the ordinariness kicked in. And then um the best bit of advice, well it was, it was sort of a coaching question. My coach said to me, Is um they said, You're he goes, You're not thinking big enough. He goes, You're not your language. And what you profess to other people is not consistent with your own vision. So that was it was the it was a question, but envelope with, um, with, um, with a question like,
1: yeah, brilliant. Okay, Beju, and the last question, if I may, just very briefly, what does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you?
0: Well, brave means doing something that's outside your comfort zone that, but it's considered you know level of considered bold. It's like living each day to its fullest. Living each day to the point whereby, can you look back and think, Do you know what? Uh, if I died, if I died tonight, right now, I couldn't regret today. You might regret things in life, but today I didn't regret. If I died now, today I didn't regret. Yesterday I might have been, but not today. And brilliant is one of our values. I've got four core values, and those four core values are uh, growth, simplicity, brilliance, and collaboration. So brilliance is about the edge between excellent. Is how excellent is is shown in the world is through brilliance. And that's
1: my Perfect. You see, that's why we gravitated together. You see, one of your core values in the name of my podcast. Yeah. It was meant to be. Well, listen, Beiju, thank you so much. I know you have to dash. You're a very busy man and I really appreciate your time. But um, listen, thank you so much, Beiju.
0: Thank you, Jeanette. It was really enjoyable. My love, hopefully, uh, people get some value from this podcast. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, to speaking very soon again.
1: Fantastic. Take care. Have a great day, Beiju.